You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as my other show, Enthusiasts, previously called How to Stan, visit 17caratkpop.weebly.com. And sign up for the show's free newsletter for interviews and much more at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Thank you! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. I'm going to mix things up for my best of the month episode this time. Because I do want to talk about the best end of 2022 releases that didn't really have time to make the cut or be talked about much on my best of the year episodes because they came out so late. But I also want to share the best of January and to help both feel more timely still, I decided they'll be part of just a big two-part episode about both. Top 20 for each month, the typical ranking and review, and then a super long lightning round of so many honorable mentions. Let's start with the top 20 countdown, best December 2022 releases. Okay, honestly, there are a couple I have not finalized their ranking yet for. You'll find out at 17caratkpop.substack.com when the list is made official on the corresponding write-up to this episode. But right now, one tentative contender for slot number 20 is Aimer for the EP Deep Down. She mixes pop sensibilities with very emotional layers in more of an orchestral, maximal style. Lots of variety, lots of layers to these tracks. And it ends with For the First Take songs, where she sings the first take of songs to show off her raw vocal power. These songs are mainly OSTs. There's the Chainsaw Man anime song, a dramatic video accompanies it that seems to be hinting at a it's all just a dream premise, but in a new way. There's also a sad romance story you see unfold in Ivy, Ivy, Ivy. Really just hits you, the message about these objects that keep carrying meaning for you, despite the relationship ending long ago. Then a song for Who is the Wolf also has a video to go with it, which has the feel of like a vacation vlog, but the atmosphere is kind of calm before the storm-ish, when you take into account the post-fighting and breakup drama elsewhere as part of the songs on this release. This feels like a an ominous happiness, like you know as a viewer things are about to go down. So overall, she adds catchiness and raw talent to just engaging cinematic storytelling that's super emotional. Another contestant that might get number 20 instead. A new boy group, Sheed, X-E-E-D. Their debut, Dreamland, really impressed me. Because it's very pop, but compared to other K-pop acts, especially when they debut, it's not your generic pop. It's way more EDM-inspired, way more EDM-blended in there than I expected. But they also do have the obligatory, softer, acoustic beauty, just like now. And they look so good, very cool fashion as well in the Dreamland music video. Really rooting for them. Number 19, Kokona, Green Velvet. Marching to the beat of her own drum, even more than usual. The video for Twinkle shows her singing about being the best, shining on her own, with these space buns, these wings made of feathers, which actually could be symbolic. We talked about the symbolic significance of feathers in a recent episode. She also has this pink mini dress, these hot pink tights, and she rocks different, very colorful, eccentric outfits. It's a cool juxtaposition to send home her beat of my own drum message while she's wearing very loud outfits and parading through everyday settings. Just her school, the library. Sound-wise, she's definitely, for fans of Jessie, 
some very funky jams, lots of attitude, very distinct tone, vocal delivery, very strange, indescribable instrumental noises in Get Your Wine. Her vocals are in quite an odd haze on that one. A very, very quirky release that really stands out. Number 18. SM Town, the 2022 Winter SM Town SMCU Palace album. I was truly so blown away by how much I just really like this release. Like, truly, it seemed like a super corny Disney star compilation soundtrack. Do you remember those? Disney artists would all sing covers of Disney songs. Disney Channel meets Disney animation. Anyway, I predicted something corny like that with a lot of cheesy songs, and it would get old fast, be kind of generic, slapped together. Not this time. This one is such a treat. Really just beautiful, high-quality songs. Priority, beautiful ballad. Time After Time is a beautiful ballad. It's a great compilation of different SM Entertainment artists showing, yeah, here's why we deserve to be famous for our voices. Yes, there is some corniness with The Cure, Beautiful Christmas, but also just very fun bops, Hot and Cold, Jet. Very cool new combinations of so many stellar artists teaming up across different genres. This is how you do a compilation, a label-wide release the right way. Really started the year on a good note. I also want to shout out Junie, who worked on the song Where You Are. Number 17. Say the name, 17. Gemini, Still Blue. It starts out with kind of hints of The weekend, but with more of an echoey filter. Quite a mood-setting intro. Then he flexes vocal skills across, tracks with different degrees of filtering, different electronic elements, different guitars, percussion, different focuses instrumentally. I also love the chill acoustic focus of Ola mixed with the expletives. I just love when expletives are sung so cavalierly, like you're just talking about the weather. A Place We Used to Go deserves a shout-out. It's a dreamy sonic haze, and it's pretty romance movie-worthy. If you like the darker, distorted more, echoey filters, you can check that out on More and More. Overall, it's a mix of electro-synth, alt-rock, old-school R&B, and he also brings on the nostalgia with the Y2K feel of the rave setting, the neon-lit video for Roller Coaster. Number 16. Park Bench Club, Sunbed Theory. Full disclosure, I have interviewed them. They're really cool guys, so some bias might be here, but I do think they do really good quality work. That's why I reached out with an interview request in the first place. Anyway, they really did it again and reminded me of what they said in the interview about why the band name is Park Bench Club, because they want their music to be as accessible as just strolling up to a park bench, which I thought was a cool way to put it. And this is kind of a mellow vibe for like a road trip or something. Kind of just a dreamy, in slow-mo haze you can stroll while listening to this too. A lot of subtle, understated elements thrown in there. You learn to appreciate more and see the songs as more standout the more you listen to it. It's really well-crafted. They also have a cool visual for Nothing To Me Lately, which combines very pretty pastels with transitions from 2D animations to more of a scrapbook aesthetic. Down-to-earth kind of concept that fits the group so perfectly. Number 15. Proudmon, P-R-O-W-D-M-O-N, and Loss, L-A-S, Run Run. A collaborative album I went into not knowing tons about either artist and being so blown away by. 
Their voices are incredible. The performance video for Run Run is incredible. Everything about it is cool to watch. Like, it's giant formations. It's a huge dance crew. Camera angles mixed with the choreography makes the whole video feel very in-your-face, immersive. It's like you're watching a 4D movie. It's wobbly intentionally. It's an optical illusion of sorts. Like they are running at you, but they're running in place. They're not moving, but they look like it. Very cool detailed choreo. Backed with really good voices and a cool distorted instrumental. Same with Fallen. And then it goes for a very unexpected pivot on Dance With Me, which is movie-ready and a piano-driven song. Like, it let the air out of the balloon. It releases all the action-movie-level tension of the previous two tracks, relinquishes it with a ballad. It's a screeching halt to the album. It doesn't decelerate fluidly, but in this case, I like their element of surprise. Number 14. Yanaganagi Branch. She has really spacey, breathy vocals that carry Branch through these waves of sound. She chose a great opening number to set the tone, and it's all just a cool, cohesive, mellifluous release. In just another day, she gives me a We Don't Talk Together by Hayes vibe. Echo is another standout. Silence speaks volumes. She stays quiet at times, but then knows when to speak up, making when she does say something feel more impactful, like its resonance does echo with you. The songs are very well titled to go with the vibe of each of them. Same with Oversupply, which is quite rollicking and stuffed. It's kind of anime rock with a bunch of unexpected sound effects. The most crowd-pleaser, bouncy-pop choice would be a checkout more than enough. But if you want more drama, she has this haunting background vocal and the strings are swelling dramatically for the song for good. Number 13, Passcode, Reverberate. Passcode are one of my favorite J-Rock groups. They have this very cool metal meets EDM collision in their really rapid fire sound. Really in your face, really just going all out on every track. Every track's headbane worthy. Some are more electronic than rock, some are vice versa, but more of classic Passcode with this EP. The relatively, relatively less intense track is Clouds Across the Moon, which has the vibe of like a feel-good finale, but in its own way that keeps it fast and worth rocking out to. Number 12, Vernon, Black Eye. I categorized everything I have to say about the song in 12 main categories. Fun facts about the song mixed with just descriptions of it, things about it worth noting, reasons why I think it's a good release. Number one, a fun fact, Black Eye was actually not the original name of the song, and it was inspired by his friend's friend, like a mutual friend he met, and basically emulated that friend's traits into the character for this song. This mutual friend, he said, gets kind of lonely, distracted, and when they played him the song, in which they try to incorporate those traits, the title that came to mind was Black Eye, so that's what they went with. Then came the cover art. This person was apparently a mutual friend of Vernon and Rob Roy, who actually designed the cover art and previously worked with Vernon on Ash, a 17th song, and some unreleased stuff. Really hoping that sees the light of day at some point. Number two, the original version of this song was a mix of Korean and English before he turned it 100% English. 
Number three, he intentionally chose the ending that he did with that maximum impact. And it reminded me of the way he ended his other pop punk jam, 2 Minus 1, where after minutes of saying, I don't need you anymore, he ends the song saying, I need you. And it can be kind of just up to your interpretation which part of that song is how he truly feels versus which part of it was putting up a front or deceiving someone. In this song, after acting like a proud loner who doesn't need anyone to comfort him, who's just gonna be a solo rebel, he ends with, knock knock, is anybody out there? I also appreciate how that's a subtle callback to Vernon's line in Underscore World, a 17 song where he also says, knock knock. I love that he just took his time to really create a whole character to go with this song and video. A video, I might add, with some very cool outfit choices. It also seems to match his pop-punk style really well because the reverb was intentionally minimized, but still, it seemed to come into the picture organically, just the way he sang it. More fun facts, B-Boy and Lotto, some of his early releases, are featured as part of the physical mixtape version. This entry is confirmed to be part of 17's The 13 Tape series. This release was arranged by Oway. Previously, the 17 songs he worked on are March, Anyone, Cheers, the relatively recent stuff. The music video was made while on the road during this Be The Sun World tour. So between traveling, rehearsing, somehow he made time to film a solo video and his bandmates were there to offer emotional and material support, which is a cute memory. Last thing, I just want to fangirl for a minute and enjoy the fact in a recent interview, he talked about getting more into J-Punk lately, which I am very excited about. I can show you that world, Vernon. (laughs) Come on the show, let's talk J-Punk. Number 11, New Jeans Ditto. We talked about this quite a bit in the episode called All Things New Jeans when I was talking about what makes this group stand out. What I'll just remind you now is it really does summarize another classic example in their discography of their unique appeal. They have this almost ASMR-style delivery mixed with subtle details sonically that don't feel catchy. They just feel weird, but the more you listen, the more you're hooked. They are kind of the opposite of a, an instant hit. Their whole thing is intrigue. Releasing stuff without instant earworm status. You have to kind of sit with and get to know the group and their voices Taking that time aesthetically, conceptually, vocally to get used to them is part of the point. And by the time you are used to them, you're obsessed. More on that in the episode, but just wanted to flag this is a great example. I also like the cool choose-your-own-adventure style of the memories they recall through different perspectives with two different videos. Number 10, Joel and Sai, Untitled. Check out the episode called Joel and Size Galaxy for more, but the bottom line I could spend hours talking about is how much I adore my C-pop queen, Joel and Sai. One of my favorite performers of all time. She is incredible on so many levels. So her absence since the ugly beauty era, relatively absent, has left me feeling like I need Joel and Sai. I need something to fill the Joel and Sai shaped hole in me while she's not releasing stuff. I mean, there were stars aligned and stuff, but I need a full project from her. But at this point, getting desperate. I'll take whatever Joel and Sia can get, even if it's what I originally thought was just a bland ballad, because I know Jolin knows how to add a personal spin that makes even the most blah sounds feel exciting again. And she did it again. This was a blah ballad to me at first, but then I looked into the lyrics and was touched by them about the irreplaceability someone holds in your life as an anchor. 
And then I was just so emotional watching the adorable tearjerker video for Untitled. It tells such a sweet story. If you want to be surprised, skip ahead a few minutes, but I'm going to spoil what's so sweet about it. A sad dynamic plays out between this boy and his grandma. They seem to live together, but mentally, worlds apart. So he's like raising an eyebrow at her, she's raising an eyebrow at him. They live very separate lives and don't let each other in. So they just fight a lot. They have awkward, silent dinners together. He yells at her when he finds out she stole his clothes or cut up his magazines. He's wondering what the heck when she gets a mystery package, mystery phone notifications. He later tries to give her dinner a different night, knocks on her door, and she doesn't even answer. She's that mad at him. So it's very cold. Then he goes out for a night. He needs a breather. He goes to the club where Jolin is performing, naturally. And who is the DJ of the night? His grandma blinged out, alter ego flexed, like she is ready. She's embracing her inner DJ diva. And now we see what really happened. The montage of moments where he thought she was mad at him, where they were at an impasse, where things felt very cold and distant. She had been hiding a special surprise secret. She cut up his magazines because she looked to her son for outfit inspo to try to be cool. The package? That was a DJ set she was going to learn how to use to impress him. And the reason she didn't answer the door that one time was not at all because she was giving him the silent treatment. It was because she had her headphones on, didn't hear him, and was busy in that room smiling and working on those DJ skills. The ending is kind of funny because his reaction is hard to read. He could be either just very delighted and overwhelmed with emotion. Like, oh my gosh, I'm smiling and crying because it's kind of funny, but also sad all this time. I've been mad at you. That was time wasted, etc. But it could also just be bad acting. Like he was told just be happy or just be sad and he couldn't do it. I don't know, but it's a funny ending because he's like laughing so he doesn't cry or maybe crying so he doesn't laugh, but both at once. So you be the judge. But it's a sweet story and took this on from being in my definitely not qualifying for my top 20 list to entering my top 20. Number nine, NCT Dream Candy. I really want to go to like a Universal Studios type theme park with this setup. This whole colorful store, the colorful party setup, all the colorful fun rooms in glitch mode, and now this. Every NCT Dream video, I just want to go live in and play and let out my inner child, which is pretty much the goal, I think. They do that on the songs too, just bring back this nostalgia for a simpler time in life. An older NCT Dream song, Walk You Home, is about that cute, sweet, walking a crush home after school, but indicating the sadness that hits you when the walk nears its end. Yes, I could not help but think of the Ralph Wiggum, Lisa Simpson moment, the whole Can I Walk You Home Valentine, one of the best episodes of that show. Anyway... Walk You Home is about that sadness. The new song, Walk With You, goes back in time and is a prequel to that song. They confirmed this overtly. Walk With You is about the excitement that builds in you as the walk nears. It's anticipatory. You're getting as excited as a kid in a candy store. So in the album and in the music video, they just make you think back to puppy love and play dates. It's such a fun, colorful video with bright tunnels they run through, 2D animations popping all over the place, colorful backgrounds, Chunla fittingly in front of a screen that says Sweetie of the Year, an inexplicable scene where they somehow end up at a Christmas party, where they watch over this boy, make sure that he has good dreams, like they're Santa's elves or something. 
There's colorful rainbow lighting as they do a super cute TikTok ready dance in their cute sporty outfits. Fuzzy hat trend for the wind still. They play arcade games. They're handing out on a carousel. It is just a bunch of kid dream scenarios, a bunch of kids birthday party goals in one. It's their twist on the H.O.T. first-gen K-pop classic, and they put their own NCT Dream charm on the B-sides like Walk With You, as well as Moon, a pretty piano back song, and my favorite, Tangerine Love, a very retro-slash-hip-hop jam. The album really does have a nice mix, danceable stuff and more dramatic, slower stuff that just lets their voices steal the show. I won't do my big NCT conspiratorial music video world theorizing today, I'll spare you. But I will say, Runjin with a book called Crop Circles? That got me theorizing, okay? Number 8. AT's spin-off from The Witness. To be honest, at first I was kind of mad this was coming out at the very, very end of 2022. I'm like, I just finished a bunch of best songs of the year write-ups. I just finished celebrating the year in music. The music charts did too, award shows and stuff. Can we please start this era by adding it to best of 2023 list? Can you please wait just another week or so? Kick off the year with a bang. Why are you timing this around New Year's Eve? But on the bright side, they did not leave people in suspense over the holiday break because this was actually a long time in the making. They started teasing this like in the summer with a really clever marketing strategy. They released these QR codes on posters in the US, South Korea, Europe. It was a global QR code promo push during their shows this summer, and it led people to this link to a YouTube PSA about waking up the masses. There was also a Soul TV recording where they airdropped a code to an audio message to attendees. They all got airdropped this like emergency alert, a Morse code audio with another wake up message. Then mid-December, the Hala ATs, the name of their alter egos, pictures and QR codes were put up in posters across Seoul near the headquarters of the company as well as near where they were in Japan leading people to a new Instagram account from The Witness, with pictures of shadows, loudspeakers, a bunch of cryptic clues. They were also directed to a message on Instagram saying, I've seen it, will you? Further upping the mystery, they published a YouTube video that was like 30 minutes long, just showing an abandoned location. There was some Morse code, some bird noises, words on the walls, whistling, feathers, bells, the loud wind, a bunch of eerie sights and sounds. Also notable, the nods to past videos popping up again and again, these people surrounding this scarecrow with their alter ego, Hala AT's masked costume. Plus that the members themselves wore black, those around them wore blue. Blue is also the color of that butterfly from an earlier video, you may want to flag that. It was quite a long-term scavenger hunt. The promo push behind this one song almost surpassed what it would be for a full album. This was an intense scavenger hunt to figure out what's going on. This really fed into my red string bulletin board music video world theorizing brain. Loved it so much. Really hope they do this kind of high stakes game in the future. It was so fun. It was just so curiosity provoking. Definitely could picture Ahala AT's mystery TV show someday. The song itself is a mix of everything. Influences range from electropop to dancehall, dubstep, trap. Shout out to the co-writers Hanjun and Mingi, plus Eden and Maddox, KQ Entertainment fellow members, for producing it. 
This Ode to the New Them, in a sense, carries even more meaning if you have been following their music video story. I broke down the episodes called ATEEZ's Wonderland, ATEEZ's Return, etc. But even if you haven't been following, this song is really just poetic. Here are some of the lyrics. The truth hidden in fear, bloom beyond that. What have we been silent for? Who are we in the darkness for? If one wish could be realized, would you grant me the light? For hot passion, instead of cold despair, I want to feel, be the light, oh halazia. My overall theory is that their story in a nutshell is about rebelling and starting a new world, not by getting rid of halaites, but by taking back control, by becoming one with them, by utilizing them for the greater good, not figuring out how to exterminate them, but how to work with them, become one with them, that kind of thing. They're also talking about rebuilding a new world that brings back music, art, all the culture that their pre-apocalypse world had banned. Hanjun over time has been particularly vocal, dropping more hints about how to read into their story. He said that the conclusion of the World series, and now we're in the spin-off series, that marks about the 50% mark in terms of their full story's progression. So yeah, much more in store. He's also said each era is a chapter of the same story, but some chapters are more closely tied together thematically than others. He's also encouraged people to think hard about two main symbols, the desert setting they keep going back to, and the feathers, like the one on the album cover for the single. As I talked about in the recent TXT episodes, feathers carry a ton of symbolic meaning, from spiritual growth to hope to daring adventurousness to carefree following anywhere the wind blows you, all sorts of meaning. The desert itself can also be a pretty symbolic place, because it's also not a place. It's like the absence of a place, a barren landscape, a fresh start, a place you have to learn how to adapt and forge a path because you don't have road signs or other help directing that path. You have to make it yourself from scratch. You could also really get extra into the theorizing, as I tend to do, really analyzing the sand aspect of a desert. That could have something to do with their hourglass symbolism, but that's a rant for another day. There's a lot of meaning here. And they've also said, later in 2023, we will get a grasp on the symbolic value of thunder, thunder and lightning, in their story. So keep your eyes out for that. In the K-pop world, lots of subject to change, but that seems to be their plan right now, is to focus on thunder as a big symbol to note throughout the year. Number seven, Rehab, R-H-E-E-H-A-B, Flowers in the Bedroom. This R&B artist should really be on the rise. Very interesting R&B album. There are some rock tweaks on songs like I Wish You the Best and the sad rock Saturday. There are more upbeat numbers, XOX, Pick Me Up. Pick Me Up's instrumental sounds super familiar, but I can't put my finger on it, so let me know what you think. Maybe Onu's Dice? Some song I've heard before, very similar. Anyway, The Sunflowers in My Bed, that's good if you like a big, somber, Big Bang era. More R&B hip-hop on Sorry. He's all over the place, vocally and instrumentally. Like, he really does have a voice that can apply to so many genres and genre hybrids. Really chameleonic. He's a real talent. Number six, Wavy Phantom. They really do have something special they each add to the songs, and it's their classic wavy sound. So it's definitely just in their wheelhouse again, nothing wrong with that. It stands out from other NCT subunits, but stays just as busy and layered in their own ways. 
the storytelling stays full and layered with the Phantom video. And I know I said, okay, I'm not going to dwell on my NCT music video cinematic universe theories again. I'll spare you. But I gotta say, this video really got me going with my red string bulletin board situation. I think my theory about Wavy being representative of hell is pretty accurate and just reinforced by this video. So as I talk about the story real quick, I do want you to keep in mind some symbols, not just in the Phantom video, but in Wavy's whole storyline so far. So Phantom of the Opera, your super quick version of what happens. It's a story with a bunch of symbols, including swords, a chandelier, masquerade masks, this underworld, this lair. It's about this phantom who, again, super condensed version of what happens, this phantom lives under the theater. He's been banished to live like someone was sent to hell. It's a show within a show premise where they have the whole what's real, what's staged theme. Actually, it's not really that up to interpretation, but in NCT stuff it is. Anyway, their show within a show starts when the cast is working on Hannibal. In Phantom of the Opera, they're working on a show, a play within the play. The main characters Christine and Raoul realize their childhood friends and reconnect and think about the past. They're back in their memories, trying to recall them. This phantom is so annoying and he follows them to dinner. He's so jealous of these reconnected childhood friends. He wants Christine all to himself. He uses these magical mirrors to communicate with her, and then it kind of gets Beauty and the Beast-ish. We find out the Phantom is just hiding his ugliness behind the mask, and he desires to be loved regardless of how he looks. The curtain call of the show within the show corresponds with the chandelier falling. Stuff that falls from the ceiling is the work of this Phantom, historically lurking in their premises. This Phantom is still ticked off, and Anzac 1 vowing revenge on Christine and this guy he's jealous of, Raoul. He dresses up as the Red Death for a masquerade ball six months later in the story. He flashes an engagement ring, leaves in a flash of light. It's a whole thing. Raul finds out this backstory of the Phantom. He was apparently just treated like a freak show. Super talented, super brilliant, but super ugly. And labeled a freak, written off because of it. So he was literally caged until he escaped and now is in hiding under the opera house somewhere. Again, I'm cutting out a lot of the plot here, but at some point they're in the mausoleum. And the Phantom stands on top, throwing fireballs at Raoul. The audience gets grossed out when Christine removes the mask of the Phantom on stage later. Now he wants revenge for that too, angrily drags her back to his lair. Dead bodies are found backstage. The audience breaks out into a mob, freaking out. Raoul gets caught in this magical lasso he was supposed to beware of. Christine ends up kissing the Phantom, who is so charmed and just touched that she showed him affection, because no one had it in forever, that he voluntarily frees Raoul. Then this angry mob reaches the lair. They walk towards this cloak they think he's hiding under, pull off the cloak, and nothing is there except his mask. Wavy in the Phantom video pay a lot of direct homages with the chandeliers, the boat ride, the masks, the curtain clothes. But not just in this video. Like I said before, NCT's whole thing has been show within a show. All the stuff I've talked about on many past NCT Talk episodes. They've also used fire symbolically. And I just really think Wavy are in hell. NCT Dream in a way is kind of like heaven. And NCT U and 127 are on Earth. It's a whole thing. So this being controlled like a puppet, or as Wavy put it, a phantom pulling their strings, that is pretty on brand with their story. 
They also bring back the diamond symbolism. The diamond symbol is notable, especially because that was the main symbol for Win-Win's character before he even was moved into the wavy subunit. Let me know if you want me to elaborate. I will gladly do so on a future episode, if you want me to revisit and update my NCT theories. Number five, Poland, the wilderness. He is such a stirring voice. It's so effective, so impactful, so powerful, so pained, so emotional. But even if you're not really a ballad person, you gotta check this out because it's not really a ballad album. It's like rock ballad meets pop ballad meets something else. It's not just like blah ballads. Different arrangements that keep the instrumentals layered and interesting. The most dexterity sonically is on the wilderness, naturally. Lots of cool background voices, a choir behind him. His notes are most impressive on the song Purge. And then my favorites, Go or Let Go and Obsession. Yeah, he starts off with the best. Number four, Sky High, the debut. A real big in-your-face debut for an album. Lots of really short songs, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I guess it's good for looping in new fans who don't have time to really give you a chance with longer material. They're songs that would go really well if they went viral on social media. If they got the right promo, they could all be hits. They're all made to be short and loud and memorable. Clapping, stomping, they're very not just with instrumentals, but those sound effect details. This is gonna sound bizarre, but hear me out. The song Tiger Style, I think the comparison works to say it's best described as J Park meets NCT Dream. Never thought that would happen. Just try and let me know. I think that makes sense. Very busy, indescribable songs. I think the intro I am may be the strongest though, but the accidentally funniest is dramatic. It sounds like he's screaming at himself. The placement of the screaming, the ways that his voice moves, it's just like he's in conversation with himself. Plus, a high note shows up unexpectedly, the pre-chorus really pops. It is, indeed, dramatic. The video for Happy Boss Day, honestly, I'm not sold on it. I think he should have picked a different song for the main title track. It's a very odd mix. He's got this Mad Hatter vibe with his outfits and his mad personality. He kind of leads what looks like a formal procession, like he's royalty. And he wears this crown and fur coat while he sits on a miniature car that people stand around, like leading him, leading the king to the party. He gives this kid Joker-esque makeup. There's a fun famous cameo as the conductor. He shows off some weird magic tricks at the party. One is, surprise, it's not something hiding under the scarf, except him flipping you the bird. There's some chaotic energy in this party room, which seems to simultaneously have fights breaking out and people just dancing still carefree. There's like a dual world situation here. Two kinds of realities, the best of times and the worst of times, in one space. A lot is unresolved. Think what you want, but he really did leave an impact. Number three, Stray Kids, Stray Kids Replay, SKZ Replay. A delightful surprise that ended 2022 with a bunch of pre-release singles I was mad I had to go to YouTube to listen to, now finally made official releases with studio cuts, plus some new tracks to go with it. My faves are Bank Chain Song Connected, Run by Han, Zone, and Fam, the new version. Just love the renewed attention for Fam. So good. So Stray Kids. This album has them written all over it. Love the mix of unit tracks and solo works. Just showing off how talented as a group and individually they are. 
They show off everything from hip-hop and rap and their noisiest type of music with Zone and Doodle, Wish You Back. Lots of rapping here, but also kind of twists on a power ballad of sorts. Love Untold, Stars and Raindrops, Hug Me is super cute. It really fits Ian's personality well. Felix on Deep End reminded me just how much he needs to have a partnership with the Calm app. His husky voice is just always pleasant to hear. It's a really dexterous showcase of what makes this group deserve their skyrocketing fame. Number two, Lexi Liu, The Happy Star. This C-pop release is also just kind of all over the place pop. She's very multilingual and really just fluidly goes from one language to another. She has this really cool cavalier delivery, this I don't care attitude, as she sings. She sings about emotional highs and lows with an unexpected chillness that is kind of endearing. She just looks like this super unapologetic cool girl, especially as this dark angel in the magician video. I raved at length in my Best Sons of 2022 episode, in previous ones too, about that single magician. Really incredible. Electronic pop addictiveness. She keeps up this, oh my gosh, I want to be you energy with her not caring what you think of her free as a bird attitude in the many performance videos, the live performance versions. She's rocking out in shades, in her school gym, dancing around, strutting around, chilling by the pool, rocking out like like she's at a festival or something, rocking cute outfits, very eclectic outfits. She is really just winning it in those videos and it's kind of an infectious energy. That's the kind of attitude to start 2023 with. And the album is just so good. Really high quality, entrancing dance pop. Drum roll please for number one, best release of December 2022. RM Indigo. There are a lot of commendable layers worth analyzing bit by bit about this stellar album. Let's start with its sonic journey. It starts with old school hip hop, and he teams up with the neo soul artist Erica Badu. It's interesting that RM has described their team up as a way to send a message across musical generations. That listeners start his album taking advice from someone else, someone older and wiser, rather than hear it from a young, relatively, just relatively, inexperienced person like him. That's his opening message. Let's learn from those who came before us in whatever field we are pursuing. It's also a cool way out of the gate to say you don't have to learn from them and emulate them while sacrificing who you really are. Those aren't mutually exclusive goals because the voices heard in the very beginning of the album are speaking in Korean. I also notice in the first song, The Expletive Star Right Away, which further just starts out not with a bang in terms of in-your-face instrumentals, but with a bang just thematically. Okay, prepare for a big, unflinching diary of an album. He's not holding back here how he feels. He goes into the upbeat hip-hop song, Still Life, which is a cool choir in the background. All Day seems to get faster than the previous track and has a message of finding ways to stay true to yourself amidst this world that makes it really hard to do or to even start doing. Trying to dig deep as long as it takes to find your true self. The determination to do that is given the proper soundtrack with the quickened tempo, the urgency feeling prominent. But then he takes a step back to pause with a folk song, Forgetful, where he left out the E in Forgetful, nice. 
This was actually made very unplugged. He really wanted a raw feel, so it has whistling, tapping on the table, rubbing his jeans. He wanted a very unpolished listening experience. Then moves into an interesting collaboration that was worked on with a British R&B star, Mahalia, a Korean hip-hop artist, Paul Blanco, produced by Hone, who worked on a solo RM release before, Bad Bye. Change Part 2 is one of my personal favorites, That and Lonely. It's interesting how it keeps changing its rhythm and sound over time, really matching the theme of all things being temporary. I also can't help but question the sound effect in there that honestly sounds like a a malfunctioning printer. Not sure what to think of it. Again, life throws him for an unexpected loop with the next song, Hectic, a city pop song. Fun fact, the featured artist Cold, C-O-L-D-E, he's part of Wavy, the company. And when that company office first opened, RM was there to give him this Hisu Kim work of art as a gift to put on display there. So they go back quite a bit. It's an interesting juxtaposition that the song Hectic is one he wrote while in a taxi one night. So he was going somewhere, but he was also just still in that taxi. There was movement in his life and stagnation. Similarly, in Lonely, he was inspired by being in hotel rooms on tour, feeling trapped on the road. Yes, you're moving to big, bigger and bigger places, but you're also dealing with this sameness of hotels that can make you feel trapped and lonely. No matter what part of his identity, he can feel trapped there, which is why it seems significant that one of the first two lines is English and the other is Korean. Despite the negative emotions, he's grateful for feeling all the feelings and what this life has taught him. Number two is a piano number about not looking back, having no regrets, closing a chapter of your life, which is what this whole album is about as RM enters a new decade of life. It's very fitting to leave this for last because it's ironically called song number two. Like, his story's really just moving on to the next chapter, not ending. It's also interesting that it ends with five seconds of silence. It doesn't just abruptly end. The story leaves space on a blank page for the next part. Wildflower was definitely a good choice for a single. Visually, it's really big. Lots to look at. It was a historically big crew for RM to work at, with a crew of 134 people, including everyone from an art department to a fireworks department. He also teamed up with Cherry Filter vocalist Eugene, who is known to not do features. It's a soft rock song, but still has a lot of desperation that comes out more vulnerable than angsty. Symbolically, as he stands in outdoor settings, he's talking about wanting to be among the flowers, not among the stars. Get back to the natural world. He wants to exist, just like a wild flower. A flower, the impact lasts. A firework, he contrasts with it. Like, he doesn't want to be a star that burns bright one day and is gone the next, leaving nothing but messy debris behind to remember. Wildflower and fireworks, kind of a play on meaning in Korean. I talked a bit about that when talking about a recent BI release. He used that play on words too. It's an interesting way to compare symbols of an eye-catching but short-lived source of your attention and a long-term, more sentimental symbol, plus a symbol that's manufactured as opposed to from the natural world. The video has a reference to Nakwanori, a traditional folk game that involves lighting bags of charcoal on fire between these lanterns, then watching the flames look like they're crossing the water. I'll link to some reading about it on my site because it's really interesting. 
Aram actually started thinking about the key phrase to use in his work, wildflower play, which is just one symbol different from firework in Korean, since 2015, and it really kick-started his brainstorming process. This song also felt organic and ready to be heard right away. Because he wrote the song's melody, it came to him in like three minutes. The way he has his back to the camera while heading into the direction of the sunrise, sunset, whatever, super reminiscent of the BTS Most Beautiful Moments in Life era. Other aesthetic choices are really interesting. He put a lot of care into the look of everything. The album to begin with is this homage to Yoon Hyun-kun, who I actually talked about in the RM's Favorite Artwork episode, before I even knew this was going to be a key part of his story here. That artist's work, called Blue, is in the cover art for Indigo, and the artist himself speaks in the intro to the album, saying, quote, We say the essence of life is the truthfulness, kindness, and beauty. But if you have the truthfulness, that means you have everything, unquote. Aram has also taken inspiration from the artist's comments about, quote, what matters is not the art, but how you live your life, unquote. Life first, art second. Art naturally follows authentic living, which is why the sense of being down to earth, just living authentically, is a key part of this nature-inspired aesthetic. The album packaging was printed with pictures in a cyanotope method that leaves an interesting silhouette in its wake. I'll link to the piece breaking down the meaning of his album package on my site too. He wanted it to be simple, not too busy, and kind of mimic the look of like a user guide, just a manual for life, but not overwhelming aesthetic. And he also wanted to represent, with indigo, youth that are, quote, washed out with water stains, with color vaguely permeating, like traces of something left behind. The logo is meant to feel like it's soaked in ink. It's not a neatly typed font, but rather like a crumpled diary with smudged ink, unquote. A couple more things I want to highlight about this release that are really impressive. One is that I love the way he talks about his music. He crafts it, he makes a work of art, and then gives it to the audience, like it's ours now. Like an artist would accept a commission, fulfill the patron's request, make the art, and give it away. It's also a cool way he talked about why he collaborated with such a diverse range of musical artists, because he said he wanted it to be like, this album is a guide, an art exhibit. So it's not just a diary entry, it's a very handy guide to the world for everyone. It's not just a place to throw out his thoughts, it's a place to hear other thoughts and perspectives and life experiences brought by all these different artists. Like he curated a museum of his favorites, who he's learned from and wants to pass on their knowledge. So this album is a conduit to art and open-mindedness as much as it is art and open-mindedness in itself. He actually admitted he started working on Indigo right after he finished Mono, so he's probably working on something else now already. I also love the appreciation for rap he has mentioned in recent interviews and in the past too. People are always surprised when I say I like rap music, but it's like, come on people, there's a lot to appreciate. It's poetry. It's a unique way to have a way with words. It's really cool to express yourself that way. And he views it that way too. He said he always wanted to grow up and become a poet, and rapping became kind of the next best thing. I love the way he talks about switching between English and Korean, like he can go on land or in sea. He can travel either way. That's a cool metaphor for it. An interesting theme revisited throughout the album is the word untitled. 
Aramis said before, the way some artists call their work of art untitled frustrated RM. It frustrates me sometimes, admittedly. Like, that's what you're gonna call it? Way to go. But he thought, and I've thought this too, on second thought, sometimes a work is most suitable for the term untitled. Because the second you add a title, you also qualify what is involved. And some projects are way too complex to simplify into a nice, comprehensive, summative title. It's too many things to have a label capture its essence. So he embraced the phrase untitled, a pretty good metaphor for embracing the unknowns of life that he sings about. And the album theme of everything being temporary, so just enjoy it in the moment, also makes the untitled keyword quite fitting. There's this ever-changing, hard-to-pin-down aspect of life. On Still Life, he sings, give me no name, cause I'm untitled. Like, he is the source of his frustration. Ian later realizes complexities in a person are like what certain untitled works of art are like, and why the term untitled is the only suitable one. You could philosophize about, hey, technically untitled is still a title. That's a whole other philosophical discussion for another day, but an interesting one. I love works of art like this, like Indigo, that really make you think. He also made a thought-provoking point in the Still Life video when while in the train, the outside is what moves. But when you're outside of a train, the inside of the train is what looks still. So if you're a passenger on a train, the people outside look like they're moving and you're stagnant. But if you're outside, the train is moving. It's just an interesting way to think about the symbolism of a train because it's a change in perspective that changes your whole worldview of if your life is moving at a certain pace or not. It goes back to him writing a song called Hectic while just sitting in a taxi cab. The inherent contradictions during life experiences is something he really profoundly explores. I also love that he's compared himself again to that bird that emerges out of the egg he talked about throughout the BTS Damien-inspired era. For more on that story and its symbolic use in BTS's past work, check out the episode called BT Study Guides, Episode 1, Damien, spelled like Demian. Let's get to the best releases of January 2023, the top 20 countdown. As of recording time, I'm going to be honest, I'm still debating what gets the final slot. So number 20, I have a couple options I'm considering. One is a new boy group called The Seven. They are very likable. I find them very cute. They have just a fun, friendly, welcoming vibe to their skate park adventure in Get Loose. And they just have a lot of fun, bouncy synth pop bops. It's a strong debut. I'm also looking at XG, a group who you could call K-pop, but the director, the creator of the group, really is against calling them K-pop. They kind of are label-adverse. This girl group, I would keep your eyes on them. They seem to really be gaining traction, and they released a pair of singles showing off this bass-driven, hip-hop, trap-influenced combination, where they show off just a lot of fierceness, and they leave you thinking, whoa, what's going on? This is bizarre, with the Shooting Star video which continues the recent trend in group videos of incorporating 2D, 3D elements into a 4D video. Bursts of rainbow light, rainbow prisms of light, rainbow colors, they dance in a blizzard, they somehow enter the rainbow after zooming into the sticker on someone's forehead, almost like Teletubbies but your forehead. I don't know what's going on, but it's definitely getting the world's attention. And another option, only one of Chrome Arts. They're back in the sultry, heavily distorted instrumental style of the libido era, which they are really good at pulling off. 
perfectly timed costume changes, going from the white to black shirts, with just like a wave of their arms. Perfectly timed with the choreography. They also are really, really, really in sync with the dance routine, which is extra impressive considering they've been releasing that string of solo releases, showing off a more sentimental side and different strengths of each member, rapping or singing or acting. And now, despite flexing their skill solo, they come back as one cohesive unit so well, so seamlessly. They really are only one of a kind. Number 19. 17. In Shingo Katori, Bedding. A peak example of people sleeping on K-pop artists' really impressive Japanese releases. Betting, it feels like no one knows about it. Like, when it first came out, I had to make sure it actually was them, as opposed to, like, a fake poser account on Spotify or something. No, it's real, but it feels like a fever dream, how little people are talking about it compared to your typical Seventeen release. It gives me home run vibes, home run era vibes, the theatrical flair, the tap dance worthy status, the feel good personalities, likability exuded just by their voices, they genuinely sound like they're having so much fun and want you to join in. They are really complimentary, not just vocally, but charisma wise. They match each other's positive energy. Number 18, Jin Young, Chapter Zero with. I'm just going to come out and say it. I really want to go where he filmed the Cotton Candy video. That big inflatable bounce house of sorts he was in as if he's in a cloud. I really want to play in that room. Room Envy is probably not the intent of the video, but come on. He looks really dapper in the video too. He just looks so good with a clean cut outfit and style. He's just the comfortable bringing home to your parents kind of guy. And he keeps that charm with this song. It's a cute song about crushing and feeling like life is sweeter than sweet with your lover. There are some ambiguities in the plot though. Like a cloud follows him everywhere, but so does the party. So everywhere he goes, it's good vibes, it's a celebratory mood, but also a cloud's following him. Like someone's gonna rain on his parade. And he stays in those settings with or without people. Like he's in a party setting alone, at one point he's in the theater alone. So I guess one interpretation is that none of this is sweet without you in it. Or it could be that he's alone whether people are with him or not, because it's not about literal presence of people, it's about feeling mentally alone or not. Different ways to take it, but he looks great in it, he sounds great in it, and the rest of the album also suits his voice. And I couldn't help but notice the lyrics to Cotton Candy bring to mind Ribbon, fellow GOT7 member Bam Bam solo track, the pep in your step feeling, they should totally do a unit thing. Number 17, say the name 17, Official Hidge Dandism, White Noise. This song reminds me why this group stands out with every single. I really spoke highly last year on the show about Anarchy, the song, because they're really good at this, at creating a whole roller coaster story out of each song. They really just seize every moment to surprise you. And this song keeps kind of settling into a rhythm, and then surprise, starts going forward way faster, and new unexpected instruments join the party. It is really something. And it matches the adrenaline-fueled feeling of watching the video, which has camera work swinging madly. Like, you are all over the place watching this action, this motorcycle race, plus the giant outdoor amps give it this festival feel. It's like you're at a big auto show meets motorcycle show meets festival where everyone is just hyped up and chaotic in the best way. 
In hindsight, the end of the video when sparks are emitted by the backs of the amps, like they had mini built-in fireworks or something, feels anticlimactic. Like, you just had this big, fast-paced thrill ride, and then you end with a little bit of sparks. Like, they did not end with a bang. They had the bang and ended with the whimper. Imdai. I-M-D-A-I. Dying message. Fans of Sun Mi's darker, tail-type eras should pay attention. This is a very sassy, fierce, dark, spooky, eerie song. It's like things that go bump in the night got a special soundtrack. Lots of eerie sounds, like you're walking through a haunted house as she sings with a very pleasant voice. She makes your horror movie immersion feel exciting, not scary. Really one-of-a-kind voice and song, and a very underrated artist. Primrose, Red Moon. They really caught my eye with their official debut. Plus, I love a good intriguing intro, and that intro, instrumental, just does everything it should have done to get me intrigued. They have some more typical, for lack of a better word, K-pop bops, synth-heavy stuff with chanting and stuff like play, but then they really go for a confident duality with the self-titled Primrose video and song. Where they rock really cool, confident black mini dresses with tall boots. They have impressive synchronized choreo, big group formations. Also eye-catching are the settings. From the dramatic castle landscape with pops of red amidst the gray to the final scene of the snowy mountains, hinting at a big, exciting adventure. In the next story installment, Baby Metal, Metal Kingdom. The Metal Kingdom full album will be here this spring, but we got a really exciting taste of what's to come. The J-Rock group returned from hiatus with a fittingly dramatic operatic rock feel. They have really just classic baby metal style again. It's so good to see them back, kicking off this new era with such in-your-face powerhouse material. They continue to work so well between an electronic focus and a metal one. They've been around for so long for a reason. They're at the top of their game. Side note, while we're talking about their Kingdom era, remember the song Kingslayer. Just remind you it exists. Kingslayer with Bring Me the Horizon. That is everything. Taying featuring my BTS bias, Jimin, finally his solo time to shine, on Vibe. At one level, this video is just good to look at. Taehyung looks gorgeous with that blonde hair, obviously shirtless, his silver jewelry, the leather outfits. He looks incredible. And then Jimin looks so cute and a bit grown up with his leather outfits. Does more than I thought in terms of keeping it interesting visually. Because there's no plot here. They are just kind of vibing, naturally. But they have a cityscape appear behind them. They have a lot of light changes, a lot of outfit changes for a plotless video. The lighting goes all purple at one moment, and I can't help but imagine that Jimin was the one who requested the purple. Also, it seems like the shade of yellow from the Butter Music video lighting is the lighting that he enters in, so look out for that. There's just a lot going on in terms of lights and color changes, background changes, the structures they dance on, for a video that seems on its face to be kind of actionless. Another way this video and song feel worth appreciating is because they really just symbolize a big moment. They're extra meaningful for long-term K-pop fans. We've got second-gen and third-gen K-pop icons teaming up, acting so chill and friendly together, like they don't need to work hard. Like they both feel like they've earned some time to just catch a vibe. 
It just works for them. A special, triumphant, but not in the typical generic sounding way. A solo breakout moment for Jimin that's also understated in a weird way. They just, this was the perfect song to return with. This easygoing song where they're just chilling, have just a bit of choreography, and otherwise just kind of are there vibing, enjoying their current place in life and getting flirty. The confidence, the natural stage presence they both bring, really cool to see. It's a big moment. Yugium featuring Sike, Ponytail. Now this is how you do the early aughts slash 90s nostalgia trend. This is how you do it. It was super common then to work with the 4 to 3 aspect ratio with the camera work. Also, the sound is just very Y2K in a way. The song is R&B, but it's got a lot of brassiness to it too. Danceable, it's shimmyable. I like the nice, respectful, wide distance he keeps from them as they pose sexily with black outfits sometimes, white outfits sometimes. They all have these fiery red ponytails, naturally, that catch your eye because of the basic colors of their outfits. They also keep it interesting with the colorful ribbons they add to the motorcycles partway through. The moments there is color stand out more because they're just moments. Overall, I think this sound really suits him. I really hope he stays in this lane in the future. And it was a cool way for him to kick off solo releases for 2023. Novelcore Icon this whole album, it's artistic malfunctioning coffee maker. It is artistic glitching. It is a somehow, to me, catchy, pleasant to listen to mix of noisiness. The standout is the title track, Icon. Very noisy indeed. I really grew to admire him as a musician more than ever last year with the song Imaginative Fantasista. That is so feel-good. He continues to blend a pretty cavalier attitude with power rapping. He'll have these rapid verses, fiery energy, but he looks pretty chill the whole time. And he sounds like, whatever, I just do this for a living. It's like he was born to be an artist. And speaking of art, the video is really something. Long story short, he sort of roams around this art exhibit and everyone gets together. They create the art exhibit out of their solo art projects. He just sort of is a voyeur. I mean, he's just watching the art, watching them set it up from a distance. And by the end of the video, he's still just a voyeur. Like he's not engaging whatsoever. It's a very weird video. Like he's above them. It kind of matches his persona, I guess, but I still have questions. But anyway, the album itself, definitely worth a listen. Also, I'm just going to say that Sorry I'm a Genius has Machne on top energy, like the Stray Kids on. Twice, Moonlight Sunrise. My honest review is that sonically, I like the feels way more than this English track of theirs. The feels impressed me more, I found it catchier, but visually, Moonlight Sunrise impresses me more. I like the video more for this one, but the song itself I prefer the feels, but either way, just a great, cute, catchy release again. This one mixes this Miami bass with R&B influences, and they pull it off with their signature cute high register voices. Shout out to the underrated group Citizen Queen, who co-wrote the track. You should definitely check out their song, Call Me Queen. That is underrated. The video is so super cute. Visually just such a delight. The building looks like a heart-shaped locket, like they're in a giant locket. Plus there's this city building where all the lights in the windows, the only windows with the lights on, are ones that lead to forming the shape of a heart. 
There are also just beautiful moments with a full moon, the night sky, glowing butterflies, pastel painted rooms, flowers blooming all of a sudden. Sana with crimp tear is a yes for me. Each member really just looks very chic and has a fun Valentine's Day approved release that guarantees even when their songs aren't for you, the videos are still so worth watching. One detail I particularly appreciate is Jenyun's pulling out a playing card, a la the Yes or Yes video era. SF9, The Peace of Nine. Shout out to Zuho, who helped compose Puzzle, and Jaehyun, who worked on composing and songwriting for the first time with Stay With Me, the ballad that ends the album. I like the placement in the track list. They have the most obviously climactic songs in the middle, in the end with the ballad. It has the whole rising action, climax, falling action situation. They also did a nice job teeing up this story with a teaser video, with the mysterious CCTV-style footage, and plenty more cryptic clues to come in the puzzle video, which has so many flashes of images before your eyes, you could take a long time and screenshot every second, or pause and play, pause and play, take notes and decode so much in that video, so much to take in. It is like a big puzzle, and they're flashing all the puzzle pieces at you. Quick, what do you remember? Kind of a thing. It's like a test. So it's kind of an interactive video, just keeping people on their toes, guessing and solving this puzzle with them. And I love the break for a high-intensity dance number. The break when the lights go haywire. That dance break. Real awesome. My only issue is just the lack of resolution, so I hope this Crime Stopper action meets mystery movie thing they're doing is to be continued. They really suit up well. They have this James Bond-esque aesthetic that works really well with them. When I was young and naive, I thought their best era ever was surely Mamma Mia, just in terms of sound. Like, they had the bright, fun stuff down better. Boy, was I wrong. This is the kind of way they should stay. Ayumi Hamasaki, Remember You. I've talked before about some of the songs that were pre-release singles that ended up on this album. Nonfiction is a bop. Its music video is eye-catching and peculiar in the best ways. It also gets a cool remix on this album too, and the OG versions here. Plus Mask, very visually arresting video. Lots of cool real-time performance art happening. And that bop is on this album too. As for the new tracks, they follow a cool trajectory. Nonfiction starts the album off with this literal drum roll. Then super frenetic, electronic fierceness takes over for the next few tracks. 23rd Monster in particular, that song is great for headphones because it has that cool in one ear, out the other spatial effect. There's some more dance pop, then an instrumental intermission in Ray of Truth. Then we get into the more dramatic stuff with piano, strings, the emotional slow chapter. She returns to lively, danceable music and throws in a new funky flute sound with Taskinson. Towards the end, she's back to the slower, more dramatic piece with Just the Way You Are. So it's quite a hills and valleys repeatedly listening experience, but on the whole, more danceable pop than ballads. Hyunjin from Lay Seraphim, I not equal doll, the not equal sign between I and doll. This is a cool punny title because she's referencing being called an idol and I doll and refusing to be treated like a doll. 
singing about being more than just a pretty face. It's a really powerful song about taking back your power, ensuring positive self-talk, refusing to let anyone else determine who you are or how you should be treated, just knowing your inherent worth. She talks about it just very unflinchingly, her refusal to conform to social expectations of an idol. It's extra profound just because Les Seraphim is a relatively young group, career-wise. They're really still quite early in their career, and speaking out and defending yourself, a lot of idols really grow into that later on. But she's out of the gate like, no, I'm not going to spend a few years just playing nice before I get critical and scrutinize society. I'm going to do that out of the gate. Really just commendable. It's also cool to see so early in her career a member of a group getting a solo spotlight. That is very distinct. This is not a Le Seraphim song. This is a Ha Yunjin song. She not only co-wrote and produced it, but she even drew the animated visuals that come with the music video, where her animated character goes through a bajillion outfit changes, but at the end of the day still gets ridiculed, bringing home the lesson of the song that, hey, people are going to judge me no matter what, might as well then just stay being myself. This release to me brings to mind the quote that something to the effect of you will have lots of haters in your life, don't make yourself one of them. You already will, so might as well not pile on. Really great message that resonates not only if you are an idol like her, but anyone who wants to be treated as an autonomous, empowered individual. Moonbin and Sanha, Incense their A-side, Madness, is such an EDM pop bop. Really love it. Shout out to Moonbin, who co-wrote it, and Sanha, who is rapping in a first for him. They also helped write Desire and Wish, and Shine Solo with solo tracks, too. Moonbin goes for vibey R&B, which really fits him, and Sanha goes for what fits him individually, a guitar-based song. The album itself is where they flex their ability to pull off a bunch of different styles. They saved the continuity thematically for the video, which is a nice part two to the Who video. And they have overtly said, yeah, we mean this is like a sequel, so keep that in mind. Really cool, haunted, aesthetic, creepy, dark, sinister, villainous style. Moonbin with platinum hair is a yes from me. And the silver eye makeup, the leather and lace gloves. They're giving vampire mad scientist chic. It's a thing now. It's kind of Vix-esque, as well as the real dramatic, ambiguous symbolism, the big frozen flower structure, the black paint-drenched trees. The cinema of it all starts right off the bat, too, with a literal fire in their eyes. And the pops of red really add to a dark color palette that's mostly black, white, and gray. They know how to use color, symbols, outfits, all of that to really add to this fictional world they are setting their story in. And I am here for it. That's it for me today. Tune in next time for the rest of this Best New Music Mega Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you all again soon, and happy listening.